open to Matthew chapter 23. Now, as you're moving to chapter 23 of the book of Matthew, I want to start by uh, giving a bit of a warning um, or a heads up, a disclaimer, however you want to, to receive it, because what we're going to read in Matthew chapter 23 can easily concern you. If you're an insecure Christian, you're going to think this is all about you. If you're that Christian that tends to be a little bit more religious, then you're going to go, man, I wish so-and-so was in service today because you think it needs to be about them. I want to also encourage you to take this week and read chapter 23 two, three, four different times and let it, let it kind of just sink in. Because what I did in this, this sermon is I didn't take the entire, you know, 36 verses that uh, this, this portion encompasses. I just took parts of it because this is a part of scripture where Jesus, he's pretty stinking strong. I mean, he is in your face kind of strong. And, and the reason I give the warning is the sermon is not about Jesus being in your face in a strong manner. I want you to notice that the very first part of that uh, chapter in that first verse, it says that Jesus said to the crowds and to the disciples, this sermon is not about you or somebody else being a hypocrite. That's not what this sermon is about. This sermon is about discernment. Say that word with me, discernment. It's very important that, that as we are in relationships, that we have a level of discernment. And Jesus is really teaching and helping the crowd and his disciples in the area of discernment. Because one of the things that Jesus understood fully is that more is caught than taught. There's a story of a man who goes to his upstairs bedroom window and looks out at the front yard and, and he sees his his seven-year-old son doing this in the snow. And he yells down and he says, boy, what are you doing? He says, dad, I'm just following your footsteps. Because dad came home drunk in the snow the night before. Because more is caught than actually taught. You never, you never turn on the news or go on social media and hear about a bartender having an affair, do you? You don't, because there's no influence there. But when Jesus is addressing something really strongly, he's addressing people who have influence. And he understands that there are always going to be people that are following and looking toward others who are spiritually mature or more mature than they are. And so the scripture starts out with Jesus saying to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. And then what you find is that in verses 13, 15, 23, 25, 27, and 29, he says something to the effect of, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. How many of you have ever heard that word used in church circles? 
The church is filled with nothing but hypocrites. But I want you to understand something that Jesus is bringing out in the area of discernment and why it's important for us as his followers to recognize that people that we are looking up to spiritually, people that, that we desire to receive something from, that there is an important dynamic to Jesus that oftentimes is not found in the religious leader. And it really is this place of connect this morning and that with Jesus, he places a high premium on authenticity. Again, these are the strongest words that you really hear Jesus saying towards a people group. And they're confrontational because people that were representing the most high God, people that were, that were leading others were not being authentic in their own life because they didn't live out what they were preaching. Because authenticity has everything to do with a genuineness. This is who I am. It's where really somebody is striving to align their, their actions with their beliefs. What you find about true authenticity, it's, it's grounded in health, but it doesn't mean that health is all around it. But it's grounded there. As someone said, authenticity is just, is, is really people being real about being real. So I want you to think about it maybe a little bit this way. I'm going to ask you a question. Just survey your life and survey the people who are closest to you, or maybe the people who are, are casually around you. Who do you want to like you the most? You know the person I want to, to like me the most? Now, this is beyond Jesus. This is beyond God. These are, these are earthly relationships. The person I want to like me the most is my wife. And the reason that is, is that nobody else in the world knows me like she does. And if she likes me, that's sure helpful. Why am I saying that? Because it forces me, it causes me to live more genuine and genuine in a very specific way. Because we, we live in a day where the, the generation Z or even the millennials, they're all about being authentic, but their idea of authentic is just being truthful. But being authentic is so much more than being truthful. It's about really our words and our actions aligning. And when we do that, we begin to live authentically. Now we start looking at people around us. Maybe you've heard this. You start, you start doing a little bit of discernment. Some, have you ever just looked at someone and kind of watched them and you got to know them a little bit? And this, by the way, happens in life groups, a very normal part. And you just get a little bit of a, a check in your heart. You're just not sure. Maybe you're in a conversation with someone and, and you're saying, you know, I just don't know. They're just, they, they said this thing, it just doesn't sit right with me. And then, and then because you went to someone, I want you to get this, because you went to somebody who was spiritually immature, they said, don't judge lest you be judged. Right? And I'm sure when they did that, you immediately followed up with, because you're discerning, aren't you judging? See, most people don't think about that. 
Because we tend to be in relationships that are, that are immature. And so Jesus, in what he's doing here, is he's helping us to recognize there are people that while they give good advice, their life doesn't line up with the advice that they're giving. Jesus didn't argue the advice that they were giving. He said, go ahead and do it. I always laugh because, you know, I always hear the argument of, well, Jesus never taught on tithing. You ever heard that? And you've read it. Jesus never taught on tithing. But if you, if you'll, if you'll let chapter 23 settle into your hearts, what you, what you hear Jesus do is he, he gets on the case of those who are preaching tithe, but don't tithe themselves. And he says these words. He says, and all this you should do. Because to Jesus, when it came to money, yeah, that was really a no big deal. That's a temporal thing. God supplies day by day our daily bread. Now watch this. But in America, it's our idol. And we don't discern what an idol is. To what Jesus says, that's no big deal. So if you have a problem tithing you, well, then maybe you got a problem with an idol in your life. But the ability to discern and recognize when someone is attempting to lead me out of their own selfish ambition as opposed to someone who has a general and genuine concern about your life. Because that was Paul's argument. As, as people were coming against him, he goes, listen, all I want is you. He didn't want their money. He didn't want their, their work. He didn't want anything but them as a person. And so for us, the ability to discern becomes critically important. So in that whole hypocrite theme, here's how, here's how we're going to grow in our ability to evaluate, okay? Our ability to evaluate. And what we're going to do is we're going to take the theme of a hypocrite, which in, in the days of uh, Jesus, that was just referring to, to actors, okay? We know who actors are and where actors live, right? They all live in Hollywood. They mostly all work in Hollywood. But in this, this idea of an actor, it starts when it comes to us being able to evaluate we have to understand that there are people that have a goal of convincing other people that they're somebody else. That's what an actor does. They convince people that they're somebody else. The religious person or the religious leader is a person who has an answer for everything, even the small little details of the way a person is supposed to live out their life. In essence, they're trying to convince you and I that we, they are spiritual heroes and that you should come to them. And if you come to them, God will give you what you have need of. What you find about actors, religious leaders that, that tend to fall into this category is they tend to be people who criticize other leaders. And so as you are listening to people around you? Are they, are they critical of other leaders? Or you find they tend to, to really talk about their own accomplishments. Here's what I've done. Enough talking about me, let's talk about me. And so in, in your own personhood, in your own, how, do you, how do you examine this? How do you grow up? Well, you, you begin to ask yourself and the Holy Spirit in your inner person some questions. Questions are, in this area for an actor, is there, is there any inconsistencies between their words and their life? Are there inconsistencies there? 
Now, the Bible gives us great examples here. And what I want to do in each of these is I want to give a bit of an example of Saul, who, who Saul was a, who was a leader that was a hypocritical leader. And David, who was not a hypocritical leader, he was a, he was a leader after God's own heart. And, what, and the reason I think they're both really good examples is that, that the scriptures just focus on Saul's hypocritical nature. You know, it doesn't really even say any kind of gross moral sin that Saul ever did. Except try to kill somebody, but we'll talk about that. Like David, who broke all the commandments and had someone murdered, slept with his wife, then had him murdered. But when it comes to a person in being consistent with their words and their actions, King Saul didn't do that. First example of that would be when he is with, when he is... Uh, uh, got Goliath and his armies, and, and, and they're kind of both on these hills, and they're taunting each other back and forth. And, and David comes on the scene, and David starts asking questions. What does a person get if they kill Goliath? Well, what were they to get? Well, their family was to be tax-free, and they got to marry Saul's daughter. But what you find is that not only did David not get to marry Saul's daughter, he used that later as a way to try to get him killed. And maybe his family didn't have to pay taxes because they were on the run. Because Saul's words did not align with his actions. But David was a much different person. When David is, is for example, leaving Jerusalem because his son has, has basically ousted him and taken over the, the, the throne. And he's, he's riding along with his entourage. And, and there's this guy that's walking alongside of him. And, and the guy is a, he's a guy that was aligned with Saul back in the day, and still is irritated that David, David got rid of Saul. And what you find is the scripture says that he's walking along the entourage and he's hurling insults at David. And always seems to be in these stories an Edomite. But an Edomite says to David, you want me to kill him? And David says, no. He may say something that I need to hear. Even his enemy, he wanted to see if his words were aligning with his actions. Because while David was far from perfect, he wasn't an actor. So we always want to ask ourselves, Lord, the people that I'm, I'm receiving from, whether they're on, on a podcast or television or they're at Bethel or in their life group, wherever, are their lives consistent? Are their words consistent with their life? But an actor, by the way, also has a script. And the goal of the script is to do what? To make sure that life is in control. And so, the religious tend to always have life in control. They're absolutely healthy, wealthy, and blessed. Oh, you've heard that, right. Because they don't have any chaos They've got all the faith in the world. They wake up happy and they go to sleep completely fulfilled. Everybody they meet loves them. They're always, they always get the promotion at work. You've never met anybody like this in the church, have you? But when you begin to discern, you begin to ask yourself questions. And I think this is an important question in discernment. Where is their faith currently being put in action? 
not yesterday, not last month, last year, last decade, but currently, where is their faith being put into action? Always beware of people who never have a current, actionable faith in their life. It's a place of discernment. Now, remember, I gave this as a warning at the beginning. I'm not talking about you. Jesus is trying to teach about discernment here. So, for Saul, he had a situation where he was completely and totally out of control. He was wanting to go into battle, but Samuel had not come to the battlefield to, to, to bless and, and, and do what he was do the sacrifice. And Saul... Needing to be in control of life, making sure everything worked out perfect because his men, according to him, were turning against him, said, I'll go ahead and do it. And whenever a person lives a life where they think God's not going to show up, in time, they begin to do it themselves. But what you find about David that is so completely different than Saul is found in all of the Psalms. They're trying to kill me, God. I really hate life right now. I'm stuck in rocks, but you're good. I don't have control, but you do. He understood that, and and listen, this is where life matches up with words. He understood that life was hard, but God is good. And so the Psalms just bring that out time and time and time again. And so it's a place of discernment. That's why we constantly challenge in that place, what is God saying? What is God doing? But, in, but in, in an actor, you have an actor, you have a script, but here's another biggie. You have an audience, right? It's always an audience. And what's the goal for the audience? Approval, right? Approval. And certainly Jesus discussed the approval dynamics with the the Pharisees and the the Sadducees and and their desire to have people pay attention to them, put them in a place of honor. They were constantly looking for people's approval. And so when it comes to the audience in our area of discernment, our ability to stop and say, okay, Lord, what's going on here? Is this person, are they doing it for themselves or are they doing it for me? I think a good question here, and these aren't perfect questions, but, but how does a person, you can watch people, how do they respond when told no? Or how do they respond when someone other than them is complimented? I want you to understand this about Saul. Saul is the king. He is the man. He snaps his fingers, people do. Snaps his finger, people die. He's the king. And along comes this upstart David, who, who's a pretty good warrior. He kills Goliath, and he's, he rushes into battle. He's great with the sword. He comes out victorious, and all of a sudden, the people start singing about him. Saul killed his thousands, David his ten thousands. Now, if Saul had been rooted... In an authentic way, he would go, this is good for me. He can get out there in the front lines and I can hold back a little bit. He can kill 10,000, I only need to do 1,000. But he wasn't. He, what was important to him was the approval of those who were around him. 
Someone once said that, you know, in your 20s, you really care about what everybody thinks. And then by the time you get in your 40s, you stop caring about what everybody thinks. And by the time you get into your 60s, you recognize they weren't thinking about you in the first place. But there's a, there's a dynamic where even people who claim and, and even can do miracles, they have a fear of man. And because of the fear of man, they're concerned about what people think. One guy, and I love the talk, he, he said I, he was so fearful of man that when he watched a football game and he saw the people in the middle of the field huddle, he thought they were talking about him. But David, on the other hand, completely different. So here David's at a time where he's, he's, uh, he's ruling as king, and again, boom, snap his fingers, people are there to wait on him, snap his fingers, people are there to die. And Nathan the prophet comes and, and tells him a story, and basically David's the center of that story, and, and he's basically calling him out on having an affair and killing a man. If David was worried about what the people of Jerusalem and Judea and the surrounding uh, tribes would thought, he would have had Nathan killed in that moment. But David wasn't concerned about the audience. He was concerned about the one. And so he repented. It's why we have Psalm 57. And so with, when it comes to that, that actor, you've got, you've got the actor, you've got... You've got the script, you've got the audience, but we can't forget about the building. So here's what the building does. The building insulates us from reality. Now let me, let me I just this, this challenge ministry-wise, because we, we moved into a season in the, in the body of Christ, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, it's just an area that in, in my, my internal debate, I'm discerning, Lord, what's right, why do we do what we do, where, where it went from everybody, the lights were fully on, okay, you remember those days, the lights were fully on, and then all of a sudden, all the lights went off and all the lights were up here, Right? You kind of find that we're kind of in between that. Part of it's our building and the, the lighting here. But we don't, because here's the thing. What, what we did is we insulated people from this idea of worship. So I can now, I can now lift my hands and I can sing and I can praise God and no one's looking at me. Because there was a season in the body of Christ where we really believed that we just need to hunker down and we need to, to make sure that we're in a bunker until Jesus comes back. But the question when it comes to, are we trying to live? There's the people around us trying to live, these religious leaders, they're trying to live an insulated life because are they, do they have a life outside of church? Do they have a life outside of church? Now, we separate ourselves from things of the world, but we still live in the world. And when, when, we're, when we are being the people that God desires us to be, and this is true with all, all God's people, is ultimately there's this dynamic of faith that's happening wherever we are. I say this all the time because I, I can and it didn't come from here. Is I always laugh when someone would come to me and say, you need to pray for me. Everybody at my workplace is, they're just heathens. And I don't have any Christians. Because, because there, there's this, this idea in religi and the religious leaders have led people to believe that you can live an insulated, isolated life. It's exactly what Saul tried to do. Saul, when it was time for him to receive the, the proverbial crown, well, they probably didn't have much of one then when he became king, but when, when it was coronation day for him, do you know where he was found? He was hiding. 
He was hiding in the luggage. I don't even know what that looks like. I get Samsonite in my head, but they didn't have Samsonite back then. But he was hiding because he wanted to insulate himself, to isolate himself from everything that is around them. Where David, on the other hand, he was a leader that was completely opposite. Here's a guy that when, when, the, when the Ark of the Covenant is coming into Jerusalem, he takes off his priestly wear and, 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 and he starts dancing before the Ark. So much so that, that by that time he had, he had gotten Michael, his wife, is looking out from the window and she's despising him because he's living really, really out loud. Now, for some of you, I mean, kudos to you. You're so good at that. I still, you know, this is about as all I'm going to get when it comes to the, the, but some of you are really good at that. David, man, he was letting it loose. You know, we live in a day where, where, where we're told that, that, you know, you got you to just be quiet. And yet people have these opinions about, you know, transsexual and gender changes and political views and all these other things. I don't know why we as God's people can't be out there as loud about how great God is than everybody else about how great Satan is. And so you, when you look at the people around you, you begin to discern who's really out there. Who's, who's pressing it more than, and I, I'm speaking to people like me, just in front of you in a pulpit? Who's out there living out loud? Now, I'm not talking about dancing, per se. I'm not talking dancing at all. That, that's David's example. But I want you to get this, this little, this is for someone. Okay, I, want this, I just really believe that the Lord wants me to go to a little rabbit trail. I don't do this often. I feel the Lord saying this for someone. Is that if, if your idea of living out loud is something that dis- you find is a disdain. You don't like it. You, you have the mentality of Michael, that you hate that. Why, does that person, why is that person like that? What you find about Michael, the Bible says she had no children. Because God, when you, when you get a disdain about worship and humbling yourself before others, God says, I want to make sure you don't produce any life. And I guarantee you that when I look at religious people all across the world, there are people without life because they disdain people living a Christian life out loud. And that's more popular in the Americanized, Europeanized, wealthy Christianity. Because we already have our kingdom, we don't need another. But when you go into third world countries, they're all out loud for Jesus. Because they, re- they recognize he's all they got. And yet we wonder why miracles take place everywhere else. And so we, we, we begin to discern, wait a minute. There is a way of life and there's the kind of leader that I'm going to, to follow or receive something from. So let's, let's, let's look at this, the go piece here really quick and kind of finish up here. Because there's just, there's just three words that I'll just expound on just a little bit. It's, we need to exhibit we need to engage, and we need to encourage. What do we need to exhibit? Well, Jesus said in that opening verses, be careful to do. In our life, we always want to make sure first and foremost that, that we're a people that says, Lord, if your word says it, do I do it? When, when we read God's word, God's word's intended to correct our doing. 
Now, I know this is in a grace-filled, do-whatever-you-want kind of modern Christianity, this doesn't fly. But Jesus said, they say good things, do it. There are things in Scripture that we just ought to do. The dramatic pause was for a really good resounding amen. If, if, if God hasn't had you do anything new for a while, well, position yourself. He'll be happy to have you do something new. Because here's what, hap- here's what happens. I want you to see this. Is that when you make a choice to, to do what the scripture says, you become a better person in discerning. You begin to recognize, wait a minute, I recognize what happened in me. And I just don't see that over here. Or I see that a lot here. Because what you find is that you're able to judge without being judgmental. You're able to judge without being judgmental. But here's another dynamic. And and this is so critical for us. We have to engage people. The engagement is is, is so important. This is people who are out in front of us. And and these are people who are following us. That that we don't stop engaging people. Because here's what the devil will do. Well, they're hypocrites. So I'm going to retreat. Well, that's real healthy. And you become the very person that you're claiming everybody else is. And actually, the more we engage with people, the more our values are seen. More others can look at us and go, do their values match up with their actions? And as we engage... so. So I, um, this is not parenting advice, okay? Can we, I think we're, this is not parenting advice. Because every kid should be parented different, right? You don't parent kids the same. Our daughter in high school, and you saw her, she's a beautiful lady. She's beautiful in high school, cheerleader, captain of the cheerleading squad, so on and so forth. And, and Clarissa and I would pray for her, and, and, and we, when she was younger, we said, hey, at this age, you can go out as a, with a group of people, and with this age, you can go out a smaller group, and with this age, you can go out, you can go out to, with just you and a guy. And, and when she got to be a senior in high school, she, she basically, she had, she had grown and matured, and, and we had that plan. We said, our daughter was basically what I called, and I razz her about it now, on a boy-a-month club. Every month she's dating a Dan. Listen, by the time she got to the senior prom, she didn't have a date because she never put out. Okay? Listen, but she's not a boy. Why am I giving this story? Because if you don't engage people, you're not going to learn to discern. And, and it's in the process as you engage with people that you learn to recognize words versus actions. And do they align? Or what area that it doesn't align? Because the, the third thing is that we have to encourage them. We don't, we don't cast people to the side. Certainly don't become like Jesus. Jesus could say this thing because he was perfect. There are few people in my life that I could speak that strongly to. I made a joke this morning in the mic check that, you know, I said to uh, her, Clarissa had come to me and said, did you see the dog bowl? And I said, I didn't know our dog could bowl. And, and that led into a bit of an argument. And, and I, by the end of the argument, I just said, hey, listen, you need to learn to embrace your mistakes. And she gave me a hug. Oh, some of you will get that on the way home. Anyway, the, why am I saying that? Because here's the thing. We encourage one another. 
And it's in that encouraging one another that, that relationships can grow where you can have strong conversations. If you think you can just walk up to somebody and have a strong conversation, you know, you're going to be talking to their hand. And they're going to turn real quick. But there are people in your life that you really say, I'm going to invest in. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to show you my life. I'm going to step into a relationship that is an, not a perfect relationship. It's not a matter of showing all the perfect. We kind of went through that already. But I'm going to be authentic with you. This is my life. This is what it looks like. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm showing you not because I just want you to accept me. Because I actually want to see transformation. I want there to be a change. I want to be able to look at the things that are said. And I want to actually be able to do them. And so what, what you find is in this encouragement, it's what I said earlier, you judge without being judgmental. You live in love. And when you live in love, you discern and then you say, okay, Lord, how can, how can you and I team together to help each person that is around me to have their values align with their action? Because while you don't, God loves the sinning sinner who sins while he's sinning. But as we grow in him, we go, wait a minute. Okay, there's, not, there, there, there's a lack of alignment here. I want, to, I want to encourage, I want to. Even if that person is your pastor. Because some of you think he's, he's, he's so far gone that he's just an Arizona Diamondbacks fan. But you put up with me. I think that's great because you're encouraging me. Not realizing that I've been to more Ranger games than I have Diamondbacks games. The reason I was called, I said I had a split personality is I, I went out on Saturday with my Ranger shirt on, but I had my Diamondbacks windbreaker over the top of it. I can't lose this World Series, by the way. I'll keep saying that. But the fact of the matter is, is, that, is that, that we lead and we're led. And discernment helps us know how to lead and how to be led. And Jesus spoke to the crowd and to the disciples. Don't miss that distinction. He wants us to be able to discern. And so here's what we're going to do. We've got, we've got Bruce Headley with us next week. We, I set that up quite a long time ago. I'm looking forward to it. But we're going to come back in two weeks, and we're going to come right back into, into Matthew chapter 23. So over the next two weeks, just read that a few times. But let me just pray, spirit of discernment and growth, and we'll sing one more song together in closing, and then, uh, and then I'll come up and close as I take just a moment and talk about Convoy of Hope. So Lord, I just thank you, Lord, that you care about our ability to discern. And Lord, we live in a day where... The, the images and the messages come like a flood. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us to be able to discern. Be able to discern those that, that where we really need to take the meat and spit out the bones, so to speak. Or, or, or Lord, the, the, the wholesomeness that, that you're bringing into our life. That Lord, we'd be a people that would recognize that. And that we would grow into a place, Lord, not to where we're perfect, but, but Lord, that we are genuine in our faith. Both in the, in the struggles and in the victories. So that, Lord, we might grow into relationships that are true and authentic. So that, Lord, when the pressures of the world come, we have this, this united bond that, that the enemy just can't tear apart. Lord, I just pray a blessing on the, the various life groups this week. That, Lord, there would just be a, a next level uh, a unity because of the growth of discernment. Lord, help us to recognize the actor. Help us to recognize the script. Help us to recognize, Lord, the, the, the audience. And help us to recognize, Lord, the building. And Lord, may as we recognize it, then may you come and give us the answer to encourage. Because, Lord, we desire to love like you love. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? 
Hey, thank you again for joining us. We hope that our time together has been a blessing to you. And it doesn't have to end there. If you want to find last week's sermon, you can go to Facebook, YouTube, or you can listen to us on the audio podcast. You can let us know if you'd like to be further connected in a life group. But let me go ahead and pray as we close and say, God, thank you for being with us, Lord God. Thank you for helping us to carry your words, Lord God, and change our lives, Lord. Help us to carry your love to those around us. And we thank you for what you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and thank you for being a part. We hope to see you soon.